If debit is your go-to card, Discover thinks it's time you get rewarded too. So check out Discover Cashback Debit, a game-changing checking account with cashback on everyday debit card purchases. That's right. Cashback isn't just for credit cards anymore. Whether it's a movie date, flea market find, or midday latte, you can start earning cashback. And did I mention there are no fees, period? Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashback debit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome to Hollywood and Levine. I am Ken Levine, your podcast host. This is part two of my interview with Howard Michael Gould. If you missed part one, after you listen to this one, go back because it's really interesting. We talk a lot about Mike Nichols and uh, Sybil and, uh, yeah, this is a lot of good stuff. But this week is really fun, too, because we get into our writing process. We talk about life as a screenwriter or as a novelist, as uh, Howard is a TV writer, a TV showrunner, a TV director, a movie director, also a screenwriter, and a playwright, and now a novelist. He has a brand new book called Below the Line, which comes out this week. It's available on Amazon. We'll be talking about that and much more. Part two of my chat with Howard Michael Gould this week on Hollywood and Levine. I want to talk about your process, and then I'm going to get into your novels, because you... More than any other writer I know, are so disciplined. <laughs> Talk a little <laughs> Except bit. Except maybe you. Uh, well, no, because I, you know, I'll work a little bit. I, I, you know, I'll have a project and I'll throw myself into it, and then I'll go off and announce baseball <laughs> for three months. But you work pretty much every day. What is your writing routine? Well, I get a. Seven days a week, I get up early, and I actually walk to a coffee shop, and then I work there until about lunchtime, uh, an early lunch. On the weekends, maybe I'll knock off, and that'll be the day. And then I have weekend left. On, right. on weekdays and, and some Saturdays, I'll go somewhere else for lunch and work for another hour, and hour and a half. And then my brain's pretty fried. And uh-huh. then, you know, the rest of the time is... But you do that seven days a week. Yeah. You know what happens when you don't have a project? Okay, it's one thing if you you're in the middle of a screenplay. Well, what happens after that? You know what happens when there's that period where you're just sort of looking for ideas and looking for things to do? Uh, well, now that I'm writing books, each project takes a year, so there isn't don't so have much to worry of about that. that. You don't have yeah. to worry about that. And by right. then, you've probably got an idea of, oh, this is the book I'm going to try to write next. Right. Which, by the way, means figure out. I mean, th- these mysteries, the first half of that year is working it out and outlining. Right. And so you're one of those writers 
that uh, that outlines first. You're yeah. a plotter, not a pantser, as they say. Yes. Right? The guys who just start writing and make it up as they go uh, yes, along. Yes, I'm on a scale of 1 to 100. I'm like a 352. I don't know anybody uh-huh. else who... who <laughs> outlines as fully and obsessively as I do on on the books the outline itself by the time I'm ready to start chapter writing is almost half the length of the final book wow so I'm yeah I'm I'm very much that and it, it's it's out of fear of writer's block really it was mm. like my way around it was uh-huh. just um and it's funny um, Alexander Payne who I worked with on one of those things that didn't go a million years ago when I explained my process he laughed and he said well you're you're writing the screenplay while telling yourself you're not writing the screenplay <laughs> you're just <laughs> tricking yourself into thinking you're not doing the work so that right. uh you know you're not freezing up right and that's probably right but do that, you that write quickly process. or are you very slow it's different depending on the form so on screenplays once i have that outline I write it as fast as I can, as bad as I have to. I think of that as my satchel page. Kind of page. your vomit draft, yeah, as we like to say. Don't look back. Right. I think satchel page uh-huh. is what I right. think. Is even, even if you realize something's, you know screws right. you up from before. Right. Uh, and then I'd put it aside for a couple of days, and then I'd read it, and I'd, I'd write on it what needed to be done. I wouldn't do any rewriting yet. And okay. then I print it out and then I sit there in red pen and go over it, over it, over it until, and then type in until um, my red pen isn't moving anymore until I go, that's kind uh-huh. of right. On the books, I, you can't do that, or I can't at least. It's really laborious. I try to write it as well as I can, sentence by sentence, paragraph by paragraph. And then it's really not good enough. I mean, I go back and do a second <laughs> draft and I realize it really isn't any good yet. And and I do three or four on each chapter till I feel like it's pretty good and then move on. But I'll tell you on, on this, on the, the new one, I'm writing the third in the detective series, which I, I guess we'll talk about in a moment. But I, I just have been busy on the movie, which I guess we'll also probably talk right. about. Mm-hmm. But I was on set and very distracted and not getting a lot of writing done or in, in dribs and drabs. And I thought, you know what? On the flight back, I'm going to read the first three quarters because I had the full outline, six months. I had done three, four months of chapter work. Right. I'm going to read the whole thing through and then get a running start and do the last quarter. And I just read it through and I went, this sucks. It's, <laughs> I mean, it's okay, but right. I felt like I had three quarters of an, an okay novel where I feel really good about the first two. And I'm sure it's because... While I was doing my daily writing, I've had this ongoing thing of, oh, is the movie going to happen? Is it going to fall through? A producer's calling, you know, and you've had So you were sort of distracted, distracted, yeah. And then distraction of actually the work on the movie, you know, little bits of rewriting, you know. Right, um, Mel Gibson is going to call you in 10 minutes. Okay, meanwhile, (laughs) I'm going to work on this page. You're not going to write a damn good page till you know what Mel's calling you about. (laughs) You know what I mean? Right. And, And so now I'm actually going back to the beginning and and uh, just I came up today. I'm in such a good mood today because I came up with a really, really, really good first sentence <laughs> in the third book. And I went, you know, my first two books don't have great first sentences. This one's going to, you know. And it's a really slow thing. So how did you transition from screenwriting to novel writing? Um, well, I guess there's a couple of beats in here that, that 
that we missed because it was it was never a plan. So I finally made a movie, directed a movie, right. got involved. We can do this in a sentence and get <laughs> not talk about this. Got involved with really, really shady people on the financing side. Okay. And it ended in catastrophe that that messed up my career. And then I had a few years not knowing what I was doing. Then I had a TV series called Instant Mom, which mm-hmm. we worked together on, mm-hmm. um, which went very well and gave me a little bit of breathing room now to try to do something more creatively ambitious. In that period of time, after the movie went bad and Instant Mom, you know, this gets to the harder part of your question, which is what do you do when you don't have a project? Because that was, it was like career Chernobyl, this movie for me, uh-huh. right? I mean, there was, there was, <laughs> there was nothing left. Um, it, it happened just when the economy crashed. So all of a sudden, there weren't, you know, I take myself out of the game. The movie business collapsed. There were no more of those production rewrites, those things I had been doing. And my daily work every day was often, okay, I'm going to sit here in the coffee shop and figure out what to write or figure out a pitch or right. figure out, you know, it was trying for the next thing. And there was like a, 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 a really tough four or five year period where I did not really, I mean, after a very, very good 19-year run, I had a really mm-hmm. tough four or five years where uh, another writer friend and I were going through it we used to talk about this as sort of triage because I was, I was successful enough prior to that that I would still get calls from really good producers who would say things like, hey, what would it look like if you and I did a detective TV show about a woman detective, you know, a, a movie producer who had no mm-hmm. TV, but I was a guy he knew in TV and everybody was trying mm-hmm. to go to TV and he'd dangle something. So I would either, I would always have something that was purely original that I loved that I was working on. I would take anything where people would say, here's money. Right. <laughs> you don't even have to jump through a hoop. We want right. you so much. If you uh. produce this pilot for Nick at Night, Right. <laughs> you know, and I go, okay, I'll, you know, I don't have to audition. I'll take that one and let's see what it leads to. Right. What, and then everything in between, you'd sort of triage and figure out, you know, the combination of financial upside, creative upside, likelihood that it's real. Is this one worth working on? So in that period, two of those things that came up, one turned out to be Instant Mom. Right, Another, which lasted three seasons, like yeah. 65 episodes. Yep. Yeah. yeah, so that was a great run and, and, and a lot of fun, uh, really unexpectedly fun. Uh, and then another one was, actually, I had, I had a failed pitch. I, I, had, I had exactly that female detective situation that I said, we sold uh-huh. that to Lifetime, and it went to... You know, went to script, and then they had a changeover at the network, and it was dead. Right. And but I, it got me thinking. Geez, I could write detective stuff. Comedies struggling a little on the networks. Maybe this is an area because I'd had fun. And I thought, if I had a great idea for a detective that's higher concept than the female detective thing that we had before, and came up with this character Waldo, went out with Aaron Kaplan to uh, a couple of networks at. One of the networks, the pitch went so well, they applauded at the end. Okay. And then they called three days later and passed. (laughs) Because they said at our network, which is very successful, we do police, we don't do private eyes. Uh And I thought, okay, I'm not going to do that anymore. No more of this drama stuff because I really don't understand it. Uh But a producer, from a feature producer who I like enormously, Andrew Lazar, 
called and said, I've started this new company with a, a, a financing producer named Christina Lurie and another creative producer, Steve Schamberg, who directed the movie Secretary. Okay. And we have a small development fund. We'd love you to write something for us. We'd love it if you had a detective with some comedy, <laughs> which I had that I didn't sell a year and a half earlier. I right. didn't have a movie-sized story, but I figured out enough of a movie story to BS my way through the meeting, right. for which they gave me, um, you know, I think Andrew doesn't like it when I say it this way, but they gave me essentially a creative blank check stapled to a very small actual check uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and said, you know, go write this. And it was really hard because I wanted to make it a, now, now it was movie size, not 45 minute episode. Right. It was three times as long. And I wanted it to be sort of Chandler-esque complexity right uh and outlined it as confusing in other words yes Yes, (laughs) confusing but actually makes sense in the end right and 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 i did all of that hard work and then got into writing and remembered that oh they wanted it to be funny too (laughs) (laughs) so so scene by scene i'd have to come up with something oh here's the scene where the three guys come up and and beat up your detective and say stay off that case which you're not on we've seen that 50 times right how do we make that funny in a way we haven't seen and i sort of did that scene by scene it was it was arduous and then i got to the end and i read it and i went this is like 18 different movies because <laughs> i just was trying to come up with funny for each of them and then i just did again this is the thing of having regular habits for me right right is that because i know what i do when i'm writing is now print it out now sit there and work it in red pen over and over and over and over and it was one of the hardest scripts i ever wrote but when i got to the end and i went geez this is good it felt like one of my best. Okay. And this happened right around Instant Mom getting picked up. And right away, we got a director and an actor, and then they fell out. Then we got another director, and he mm-hmm. fell out, an actor fell out. Right. And and by, by the time Instant Mom was ending and I had some free time sitting in front of me, I thought, you know, we're not getting this made because they don't make detective movies anymore. Uh-huh. Right? There are a lot of detective yeah, series yeah. and a lot of detective books I thought, here I've got this good material. I don't know what possessed me to even think to do this, but I thought, I'm. let me write it as a book. Let me get the rights back. Uh-huh. Write it as a book. Let those producers stay on for the movie version. Right. But write it as a book. And I wrote it, I may have told you this, under a pen name when I first did, because I, I was afraid it it would sell and suck. <laughs> Michael Howard Gould. <laughs> <laughs> You'll like it. It's Ryan Durker, because the first ball game my dad took me to was the Mets against the Astros. Nolan Ryan versus Larry, Larry Durker. Durker. Yeah. And Larry Durker, I, I grew up with Larry Durker. Yeah. I'm still friends with Larry Durker. Are you really? Yes. Uh-huh. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Well, mention this to him. I, I will. Yeah, I will. <laughs> it was my little salute to my dad who yeah. had passed away. And right away, I got an agent. Nothing else ever happened easily in my entire career. I got an agent right away. He said, I think we'll sell this right away. And it did sell right away to Dutton. And, and you know, that was the end of Ryan Durker. Right. <laughs> and so the first book was Last Looks. Right. And that came out like... Uh, 2018, August 2018. Wow. Okay. And then there's the second book, which is Below the Line. Just come out. And yep. it has just come out, like like this week. Yes. It has just come out. And again, you talk about making your own momentum. Um, suddenly, this movie project, this on again, off again, on again, off again, as we speak... 
They're filming it right now. Yeah, they've 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 wrapped at this point. But oh. yeah, I was there on set and mostly in Atlanta a little bit here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, they have to do these things fast. Not quite uh, that yeah. fast, but it's about thirty day shoots. I'm like, and uh, and who's in it? Uh, Charlie Hunnam from Sons of Anarchy is playing Detective Charlie Waldo, and uh, as the suspect, the uh, alcoholic. Um, big star who may or may not have killed his wife and ruined his life in a big drunken night. That's Mel Gibson. Wow. And Tim Kirkby, uh, who directed the Fleabag pilot and the first season of Brockmire. Wow. Who's incredibly talented. He's directing it. And uh, these guys have been fabulous. And it's been a great, great working relationship. It's been great um, watching them just take this to new places by really understanding it and then bringing everything they do as actors and director. It's been fabulous experience. Well, the other thing that seems so unique about this, because we've been talking about how writers are replaced and there's all these new writers. I remember one time, uh, right before one of the strikes, there was like a big writer's guild meeting, the entire guild. We were all in the Hollywood Palladium. And Larry Gilbart got up to speak and said, everyone in this room has rewritten everyone else in this room. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you're the only writer on this movie, aren't you? There's a big asterisk to that, which is that during that um, writer-director-actor-director uh, attachment process, right. one director at one point said, I love what you've done. I want to do the next draft myself. And went off to do that, and I think they gave him money. And a year and a half later, he had still not written anything. Uh-huh. And the great, uh, the the, the uh, deus ex machina in that was that he not only signed with my agency, but with my agent, who was able then to tell the producers, <laughs> he ain't doing it. <laughs> uh-huh. And so they believed it and then went back to me. But yes, other other than the, the guy who <laughs> was hired to replace me and didn't do any work. Uh-huh. <laughs> but yes. what you see on the screen uh, yes, is, yeah. is you. And that yeah. must be so rewarding, especially after spending time in the, the movie industry. You know how hard it is to get a movie. And, uh, you know, I've had friends who are screenwriters. They write a draft. All of a sudden the phone stops ringing, as William Goldman says. Yeah. Uh, they're not involved in the shooting. They're not allowed on the set. Right. They come to the cast and crew screening or the press screening and see the movie for the first time. Yep. And it's just awful. Yep. And there's their name as the screenwriter. <laughs> yes, the blaze. And, and they're looking not around the credits, at, the at all of the uh, reviewers and, and they just know they're just going to get crushed. <laughs> yes. And right. there's like nothing of theirs left. Right. So, so uh, all you reviewers out there, you can crush me. With a clear conscience. Right. <laughs> That's what you're trying to say. Well, you know, the same thing with, with volunteers where we had all these other writers and then they ultimately went back to us and we did all of the, the writing. And, you know, there are certain directorial choices sure. and things that, you know, that we take issue with. But in terms of the dialogue, and all of the lines and everything, that's us. <laughs> that's us. Well, these guys the stuff came, that doesn't work, that's us. There's a, you know, there are some ad-libs and things like that in here, too. But this is even better than what you're suggesting in this way. So I get a call a few months ago. The producer says, 
Charlie Hunnam, the star, is going during prep, is going to Atlanta to hang out with the director for a couple of days. They'd like you to be there. And I think, what a pain in the ass. <laughs> you know, fly, fly to Atlanta and, you know, to go not be listened to or whatever, right. you know, this is going to be. But I just, I, at first I didn't really see the, the benefit. We ended up having this incredible bonding over the work day where we just talked about, each of us talked about the influences, things we were interested in. I listened a lot, you know, right. to, to what um, they wanted to bring to nice it. Nice that they included you. It was, it was beautiful. And we leave, Charlie and I were staying at a hotel a few blocks away. Charlie and I were walking out and he says to me, do you realize we were there for seven hours? And I thought it was about three, you uh-huh. know. It was just great. And then we spent a bunch of the next day together too. And that created this terrific uh, sort of three-way bond. And and astonishingly, um, most of the writing since then has been those guys, one or the other of them, mostly Charlie, saying, you know what I love in the book? Can we get this into the script? Or this thing that you cut for time, can we put this back? And in fact, late in the shoot, I had uh, one of the producers was complaining to me, everything you guys cut is back in the movie. <laughs> and I said, it's not me. And he goes, I know it's not you, but it's making me crazy. You know? Look, those so they're great. Movies get made in editing anyway. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, when might it come out? Sometime in 2020. I mean, now it's it, this is a pure independent. There's a company called uh, Romulus, was sort of the lead financing company, uh-huh. and they've been doing this and quite successfully, you know, make a movie and then find, you know, cut it and then show it and find the distributor. I mean, there is humor in it. It is kind of quirky and and interesting, and in a way. I'm sure there's a lot of listeners who are going to go, I've never heard of this. But in a way, it kind of reminds me of Harper in a sense. I'll take that. You know, the the Paul Newman movie written by William Goldman. From the novel by Ross MacDonald. Right. Right. It was the right. first of the Lou Archer novels. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'll take that. Okay. So what's next? <laughs> well, I've... Um, I've got a musical and <laughs> I, I, I'm writing I, an opera. I, I do have a play, which we did one reading of, which uh, the director, Neil Keller, is trying to find a home for. Mm-hmm. I sort of wrote it at, I think, an unfortunate time in the theater cycle world. We were ready with it about two weeks after all the theaters announced their dates for the next season. So right. We had a, that, that may be a while to figure out. And I'm writing a, a third Waldo book. Now. And you say it takes a year to write those? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. I mean, when I wrote a comic novel, I found it was, at least in the beginning, a real adjustment writing prose. Talk about that. What? Well, it, first of all, you know, I'm so used to just writing dialogue yeah. that to be descriptive, you know, and to sort of have a voice and to have a flow and, you know, the, the whole idea where each subchapter can only be the point of view of one character you can't have two characters mm-hmm. with their point of views. And like, like I said, it was, you know, an adjustment. And um, I, I enjoyed it. What I enjoyed about it was the fact that uh, I was not going to get notes. I was not <laughs> going to get a director right. that, that was, that right. was going to kill this thing in, right. in any way, right. that it was going to be exactly as I presented it. 
but um, I I miss the audience. <laughs> I, yeah. I miss the audience. Yeah. They, all these forms have their wonderful sides, mm-hmm. and then you miss something else about them. Right. You know, and I think you've hit that with, with, with this. One of the things that has been lovely about this, which I was not expecting, is that there's a real, very supportive and healthy community of crime writers. Yes. There are a couple of conferences yes. in the year mm-hmm. that you go to, and there's hundreds of... And, and so, I, you know, I know some of these people, and some people who were... You know the greats who you're meeting and are very supportive, and and other people sort of coming up behind you too already. You know, and so there's different things that I like about it. Another thing, craft thing that's interesting. I wonder if you did this. First of all, about point of view. These are all these novels, at least. I have another one I'm working on and shelving for a little bit that jumps around point of view. But this is all in Waldo's head. Okay. So I had a character who was not as verbal as the others around him. So this was actually, this worked and was kind of easy for me mm-hmm. to do. But one thing which I do all the time is I have my screenwriting program open too. And if I have a dialogue heavy scene, I'll write it like a movie scene and rewrite it and rewrite it until the dialogue is there. And then put in all the he saids and, you know, putting down the wine glass and all of that crap. Uh-huh. Afterwards. Well, what I did, I figured, okay, if I'm going to use the form, and this is my book, uh, Must Kill TV. It's available on Amazon, people. <laughs> but it's the only one I have not read yet. Yeah. I should read that. <laughs> um, I'll give you a copy. But the, uh, the thing I said to myself is, okay, I've never really worked in this form. How can I take advantage of it? And so I had a character and... You know, this is the first time as a writer that I could do inner thoughts. Mm-hmm. So I had him get crazier and crazier as the book went on. Yeah. As I kept applying more and more pressure, I kept really building those those inner thoughts so that the inner thoughts became really almost more important than the dialogue. But I I figured, okay, if I have a chance to do this, and I've never had that chance to do it before, take advantage of it and go for it. Yeah. Yeah. And that part of it was really fun because I was writing something that I had never written before. Have you been tempted to write another novel? Yes. Yeah. And my feeling is always if I get an idea and I go, oh, okay, that's a novel, then that's what I'll do. But... I need A, the idea, and B, the coffee shop. <laughs> <laughs> and C, an alarm clock. These, <laughs> these, well, I go naturally early, so if we're an alarm clock, it'd be easy not to do this. Um, none of these things ever come fully formed to me. Hmm. It's really You get a germ of an a idea. Germ of an idea, and you sit there and you go, okay, these are three sentences. Let's riff off of this and then start going, okay, what don't we know yet? Let's, and just grind and grind and grind until it grows into something. And I've got a manila envelope that's filled with ideas and scraps. And, uh, you know, I'll have an idea and I'll go, oh, okay, that's kind of fun, but it's really sort of, you know, unformed. And then three years later, I'll have another idea and I'll go, oh, I could marry that with this and I could put these two things together and then all of a sudden it it becomes a project and I 
kind of mull it over for a few days and eventually something will spark me and I'll get interested. And, and then, go, then yeah, do they write okay. quickly, like the plays? If you write a full-length play, does that come quickly to you? You know, it does. Um, my process, especially with plays, um, I, unlike you, my outlines are very thin. They're really kind of beat sheets, the things that need to happen in this scene. But I allow a lot of room for um, for just sort of exploring where things go. But... I've talked about this before where my process is uh, if I have an idea for a play, I will take a couple of months and just riff on different ideas. What about this? What if she does this? What if he does this? What if it's set in Hawaii? What if it's set here? What if they don't get married? What if there's another couple involved. And I just have all of these ideas and I just write them down so I don't have to remember them. And eventually it starts to form. The, the good ideas start to form. But I really sort of need that month to just allow myself to go in any kind of direction. And when you're in that place, are you... Do you have a working day or are you just no. living your life no. but it's, no. it's just alive in your head and exactly. you keep a pad nearby exactly. for when, yeah, when exa- that, or yeah. napkins yeah. or whatever. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, in the shower, that type of thing. Like I say, I, I, I then have a file. I go to the computer and I write them down so that I don't have to remember them. Right, sure. <laughs> you know, that I can just go off and, again, uh, think of as many different alternatives and kind of go down that road for a while and see where that goes. Yeah. And um, and uh, and it's actually, for me, a very pleasurable part of the process. Yeah. 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 I, it's funny, now I have... A, a franchise, right? This, yeah. <laughs> this is like a new thing, right? Because they're and with with people who are looking forward to. I mean, even you know the guys who I just made the movie with, they, right. you know, asking me, so when's the third book? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, um, and so one thing that I did a little bit different. People, are, I don't know, people are always giving you little notebooks more than you need, uh-huh. right? That's just a good gift people think to a writer. Right. But uh-huh. I don't really handwrite much. But I took one of my favorite. Hey, give ones me an those. Apple Watch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I put one of those on on my desk in a special place, and if I ever have sort of like a big, you know, several word idea that that feels like it could be one of the building blocks of another one of these, uh-huh. I put that in there. And when it's time to write a new one of these, I go through and I go, which of these look? It's a little bit like what you're talking uh-huh. about. Which of these might marry? Right. To one another. Right. Because I do multiple plots and right. I always do a big guest character sort of larger than life. And, and uh, yeah, how might those work together? I'll go through it sometimes and I'll come upon an idea that's from 1979 and I go, hmm, <laughs> you're never going to get me. <laughs> Not appropriate anymore or just, just like it's been sitting there for so long. Sitting there for so long. It just, nah, this one just <laughs> did not clear the hurdle. Yeah. 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 Well, this is great. I, again, um, the name of the book is Below the Line. It's it's really fun. It's really interesting. Very clever. And you you do a very good job of plotting logically 
<laughs> you know, I mean, I don't go through your stuff. And I find this to be like in your play, because I, I read your new play as well, you know. And and I'm one of those sticklers for, well, why did he do that? <laughs> why did she go there? Yeah. You know, um, and you cover all that stuff. You really do. I do. And when yeah. I miss um, my Jiminy Cricket is my wife. <laughs> 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 she 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 read that new play that you and I without telling anything about it. I, I said, "What do you think?" She said, "I think you got real problems in this play." I said, "Why?" She said, "Gunshot residue." <laughs> like, oh, you know, and it's something that I solve in a two sentence speech right. at some point, right. you know. But but she'll you know she'll lock on those things, uh-huh. and she's got a great BS detector when we're watching something too. You're uh-huh. watching a, a movie that's really good until the moment where she goes. He wouldn't do that. Right. <laughs> go, That's, she was right. right. And, and it's a, you know, the movie gets weak and she's usually like two minutes ahead of where the movie's going to uh-huh. go off the rails. That's it's great. Cool. Great. Thank Howard, you. thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Ken. And there you go. Howard Michael Gould. And again, his book Below the Line is available now at Amazon. Our thanks to Adam and Susie Meister-Butler, to John Wolfert, Howard Hoffman, Bruce and Jason Miller. And if you want to get in touch with me for any reason, please do. I have an email. It is hollywoodlevine at outlook.com, hollywoodlevine at outlook.com. At Ken Levine is how you uh, get a hold of me on Twitter. And I'm also on Instagram. Who isn't? I'm on Instagram, Hollywood and Levine. Back next week with more. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye. Hollywood and Levine.